Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, this is Tristan Nunez, driver of the 7-0 Skyactiv Mazda prototype, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the July 9th edition of Speedway Digest, Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsport program on the internet. This is episode 184 of the series. I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, Michael Lally Capello and myself will be recapping this past couple weeks of racing, previewing upcoming action, and discussing whatever other topics pop into the conversation. Tonight, we're celebrating six years of our little racing review program. My, how time flies when you're having fun. It's also been more than five years, five years <laughs> since Michael joined the show, and I honestly couldn't get it done without her help and unique perspective. ARCA Maynard Series rookie driver Ryan Huff heads to Kentucky Speedway, eyeing his second career top 10 finish in Saturday afternoon's General Tire 150. While Huff has never been to the 1.5-mile Kentucky Speedway, the ARCA newcomer is remaining optimistic about competing in his seventh race of the season. In the first half dozen ARCA races this season, Huff has experienced a wide variety of racetracks from all shapes and sizes, but this weekend's race will mark his debut at the traditional intermediate track, which has become a norm in the upper ranks of NASCAR. To get Huff adjusted to the upcoming 100 laps at Kentucky, the series will hold an hour practice session just two and a half hours before the race. For Huff, that practice time is crucial not only for the experience, but also knowing how his car may handle in the opening laps of the race. Competing in the season, Huff enters the General Tire 150, a respectable seventh in the championship standings, and while the remainder of their schedule remains in flux, Huff believes as long as they can continue to show improvement, he hopes he'll be around the series for a while. H.B. Hankins will assume the role as the primary partner of Huff, number 10 Ford Fusion, for the sixth race of the season. In addition to H.B. Hankins, London Coates and Southeast Citizens will serve as associate marketing partners for the event. Huff, a native of Williamsburg, Virginia, is one of six drivers to compete in every Arkham Menard Series race thus far in 2020. He is one point behind Chandler Smith for sixth in the championship standings. Following Kentucky Speedway, Huff hopes to return to Arkham Menard Series action at Iowa Speedway on July 18, 2020 for the Shore Lunch 115. For more on Ryan Huff, follow him on Twitter at DriverRyanHuff and like him on Facebook at DriverRyanHuff. Attacking their third Arkham Menard Series race of the season together, Chad Bryant Racing and rookie driver Derek Griffith hunt for a top five finish in Saturday afternoon's Gerald Tire 150. Griffith will make another debut at a track he's never competed at, but thankfully, the 23-year-old has plenty of experience around him for near debut at the 1.5-mile speedway. The new Hudson native had the motivation to earn his first career Arkham Menard Series victory. Unlike last week, where the series resumed to a traditional schedule of practice, qualifying, and the race, the Arkham Maynard Series shifts back into COVID-19 protocol mode, where the series will have a limited practice session, no qualifying, and then shifts directly into race mode. While the schedule is relatively quick, the on-track time is something for a rookie driver like Griffith, Griffith Crave. However, he is making the most of the scenario, and he has spent the week studying whether it is reviewing previous races, studying pictures, or picking up the telephone and communicating. All things considered, Griffith is ready for the 100-lap challenge. In his two previous ARCA races this season, Griffith delivered a delivery rest eighth place on his series debut at Pocono Raceway last month, 
and contended for top five at Lucas Oil Raceway on July 3rd. But power steering gremlin shuffled the team to a 12th place finish at the checkered flag. Looking ahead to Arca's return to Kentucky for the first time since 2017, Griffith believes his Chad Bryant racing team can contend for the victory. Saturday's race will mark the third race with the original Gourmet Food Company as the primary partner of Griffith's number 22 Ford Fusion. Headquartered in Salem, New Hampshire, Original Gourmet has been innovating in the sweets and snack industry since 1994. Their story started with a recipe and a vision. Their curiosity for making special blends of flavors and colors of candy became a passion for providing people with bold-tasting lollipops. Griffith's Car will be covered in a variety of companies' 26 lollipop flavors. Original Gourmet's lollipops are the largest pops sold with a bright taste and bright colors. Then you have the rest. Weighing at 1.1 ounces, these lollipops are gluten and peanut-free delight. Doggy, like all other lollipops do. Team owner Chad Bryant says Griffith is doing everything he needs to do behind the wheel and hopes to continue to showcase his ability in his mile-and-a-half debut this weekend. For more on Derek Griffith, please visit DerekGriffith.com, like him on Facebook, Derek Griffith Motorsport, Motorsports, and follow him on Twitter at DerekGriffith12. For more on Chad Bryant Racing, please visit ChadBryantRacing.com, like them on Facebook at Chad Bryant Racing, or follow them on Twitter at Chad Bryant Race. For more on Original Gourmet Food Company and their products, please visit OGFC.net. The General Tire 150, consisting of 100 laps at 150 miles, is the sixth of 20 races on the 2020 Arca Menard Series schedule. Practice begins Saturday, July 11th, with a 45-minute practice session from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. The, the race is scheduled to take the green flag shortly after 2.30 p.m. The event will be televised live on Fox Force 1, while LuckyRacing.com will stream live streams, live timing, and scoring throughout the entire week. Times of the race are local. We'll now take a brief musical break and listen to 99 Speedway from Ron Pastana and the Pit Crew.
John Hunter Nemechek from Nimco Motorsports, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. NASCAR was already set to return to Daytona National Speedway in late August, but now the iconic venue is set to host a double dose of two exciting NASCAR weekends during the month, one with unprecedented twists, literally. NASCAR announced the other day that in addition to the scheduled August 28th, 29th doubleheader weekend featuring the Coke Zero Sugar 400 and the Wawa 250 powered by Coca-Cola, for the first time in history, Daytona National Speedway's world-famous 3.56-mile road course will play host to NASCAR's three top national series, along with the Arkham Nard Series, on August 14th through the 16th. Three events to be held on Daytona's 12-turn high-bank tri-oval-slash-infield road course are, are realigned races that were originally scheduled to be held at Watkins Glen International on August 14th through the 16th, NASCAR Cup Series, NASCAR Xfinity Series race, and Arca Maynard Series. In addition, the fourth race, a NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series event, is realigned from Iowa Speedway that was originally set for June 12th. The new scheduled August 14th through the 16th weekend for Daytona International Speedway's road course includes Friday, August 14th, the Arca Maynard Series at 5 p.m. Eastern. Mav TV distance is to be determined. Saturday, August 15th, NASCAR Xfinity Series at 3 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN, 182 miles, 51 laps. Sunday, August 16th, NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor 
outdoors at 12 noon Eastern on FS1, 153 miles, 43 laps. And Sunday, August 16th, NASCAR NASCAR Cup Series at 3 p.m. Eastern on NBC, 231 miles and 65 laps. Historic races will be held on the same road course as the Rolex 24 at Daytona, North America's premier race for sports cars. Road course racing has always been an anticipated vital component of the makeup of the Speedway, with the Rolex 24 first held in 1962 as a three-hour race called the Daytona Continental. The Daytona 200 for motorcycles was moved off the Speedway in 1961, and the majority of today's course is used for the Daytona 200. The ribbon of asphalt was used in action this past weekend with the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championships IMSA WeatherTech 240 at Daytona. We'd like to congratulate the Mazda team for finishing first and second in that race, and a major congratulations to our the friend of the show here, Tristan Nunez, who did our inter- introduction for this morning for this evening's show. He actually finished in first place as well as his partner. I believe it was it was Oliver Oliver Pappas this weekend. Don't quote me on that, but it was a a good race, and we hope that they have a lot of success coming up in the rest of the end of the season. In March, it was announced that 2021 Bush Classic Daytona will move to the Speedway 3.56 mile road course and be held under the lights on Tuesday, February 9th. Now, however, the August 14th through 16th weekend will be on the pole for the track's first NASCAR road course weekend for NASCAR Premier Series and others. There was a NASCAR event held on the on the road course there in 1976. It was a NASCAR modified event. That is the last time that NASCAR had a had an event held at the road course in Daytona. Complete details on the road course weekend, including a fan attendance, is currently being finalized and will be announced in the near future. Competition on the road course will be unlike any other challenge drivers have faced at Daytona National Speedway. In contrast, the tightly packed competition on the Speedway's famed 2.5-mile high bank trial. Drivers will utilize approximately three-quarters of the trival, along with the challenging infield portion of the road course, known internationally as the International Horseshoe. This translates into 12 turns of the usual four. The challenge entails the high-speed entrance into turn one as drivers dive left into the front straight and begin the twists and turns on the infield offers, including the International East and West Horseshoe turns, and the tricky negotiation of the backstretch chicane prior to a climb back atop the bank in turn three, NASCAR turn three. Well, this will be the first attempt of NASCAR's three top-tier series on the heralded road course, it won't be the first time NASCAR vehicles have been on the coveted layout. In the late 1960s, in smaller stock-type cars, the NASCAR Grand Touring Division competed on the road course, while the NASCAR Grand American cars were a constant in the early 70s, as well as the NASCAR Modified in the mid to later part of the decade. Noted names of winners in those divisions included stars like Pete Hamilton, Buck Baker, Jim Paschal, Bobby Allison, and Daryl Waltrip. The International Race of Champions, IROC, actually had its first race at Daytona in 1974 on the road course with Mark Donahue winning in a Porsche, the next year moving to a Chevrolet Camaro and the Oval. Current NASCAR drivers who have competed in the Rolex 24 on the 3.56-mile road course include Kyle Busch, who was a participant earlier this year, and his brother Kurt, who was part of the event in 2005 and 2008 when he wound up third place overall. Two-time Daytona 500 champion Jimmy Johnson, a seven-time starter in the Rolex 24, has two runner-up finishes in the event in 2005 and 2008. Other former NASCAR drivers who have had success in the Rolex 24 at Daytona include A.J. Foyt, 
Mario Andretti, Jamie McMurray, Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Mark Martin, Bill Elliott, and Juan Pablo Montoya. In addition to the dates for Daytona's road course, NASCAR also announced the next Secure their position in NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. Uh, the Wild Wild 250, powered by Coca-Cola, will see NASCAR feature stars pack about 2.5-mile triable. Fans can stay connected with the with the Daytona National Speedway on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, and Snapchat. And by downloading Daytona National Speedway's mobile app for the latest Speedway news throughout the season. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track motor? Or maybe you're just a huge fan of the sport. Contact either Michael Miley or myself to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. The IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship made a triumphant return last Saturday night at Daytona International Speedway. The IMSA WeatherTech 240 at Daytona, somewhat fittingly running on the 4th of July, was the series' first race since the Rolex 24 at Daytona on January 25th through the 26th. That was an unexpected and unscheduled span of 160 days. That's a long time. By comparison, there were 105 days between the 2019 season ending. Oh, goodness. Mo. Oh, gosh. Mo. Oh, man. Mo. To. Mo. So. Okay, this is going to sound totally wrong, probably, but the Motul Petit Le Mans at Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta, last October, and the green flag falling on January 25th for the 2020 Rolex 24. The good news is you couldn't tell that more than five months had passed between rounds one and two of the 2020 WeatherTech Championship. We had two hours and 40 minutes of competitive, caution-free racing, which produced worthy victors in all three classes. In Saturday night's post-race report, they referred to the GT Le Mans battle as a high-speed game of musical chairs, and it was. All six cars in the class entry list led at least three laps out of 90 in the GTLM race, which was the product of an unpredictable track conditions brought about by the pre-race rain and a good balance of performance. The race-winning number three Corvette R had the fastest lap of the race at one minute, 43.527 seconds, less than two-tenths of a second faster than fastest laps posted by the number 25 BMW M8 GTE of a minute, 43.610 seconds, and the number 911 Porsche 911 RSR19 with a minute of a minute, or with a time of a minute, 43.658 seconds. In the end, the outcome was determined by a combination of smart strategy and heady Heady driving exactly as it should be. Well, it wasn't 100% like it was in GTLM. More than half of the Daytona Prototype Air National Field held at least one, held lead at least one point or another in the IMSA WeatherTech 240 at Daytona. To be exact, five DPI machines topped the charts with race winners. Maria, my the number 55 T24P machine, the number 31 Wayland Engineering Cadillac DPI VR. Pico Durrani and Gabby Chavez led the second most laps with 26 on a divergent tire strategy from the other DI frontrunners early on. The pair of Acura Team Penske ARX5, meanwhile, combined to lead 13 laps had it not been for an uncharacteristic mechanical issue that removed the team's number seven entry that Helio Castroneves qualified on pole a few hours earlier, a different tale may have been told post-race. 
as it was Mazda scored its third one-two sweep in just over one year's time with a hard-earned third place run by Pass Rolex 24 at Daytona. Overall winner, oh, Lord, Ja, oh, man, Ja, Ja, oh, Lord, Ja, oh, <laughs> Jay, oh, gosh, help me out here. <laughs> yeah, Barbosa. Ja, ja Barbosa and Sebastian Bourdais in the number five Mustang sampling Cadillac. Last weekend marked the first Daytona appearance by the number 76 Compass Racing McLaren 720S GT3, and qualifying could not have gone any better for them. Corey Fergus, in qualifying for his WeatherTech Championship debut, gained team and manufacturer's first ever mobile pole award Saturday afternoon. Unfortunately, the opening round of the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Sprint Cup for the GT Daytona class season quickly turned sour for the team. Fuel pressure issue on his way down pit lane for the pre-race recon lap, which was quickly re- oh my lord remedied by the team, but not before the pit exit closed. That dropped the car from the GTD pole to a pit lane start, which also carried with the drive-through penalty under green flag conditions. Shortly thereafter, Fergus had a spin that dropped the car off the lead lap, and with the race run without and with the race run without a full course caution. He and co-driver Paul Holton came home 11th in class, two laps down to the winner. Go ahead and take another brief musical unload here and listen to, let's go with short track racing. Where is it? There it is, short track racing by Ron Fasana and the pit crew.
Hi, this is Shay Holbrook from Larson Motorsports Jet Dragster Driver in the IHRA Nitro Jam Drag Racing Series, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on Speedway Digest Radio Network. And performance delays start to the 2020 season from the one kickoff and event leadership record for the Rolex Austrian Grand Prix. The live telecast of the race on ESPN on Sunday, July 5th, earned the largest U.S. TV viewership for the event since it returned to the F1 schedule in 1997. It averages 152,000 viewers. The event is up Austrian Grand Prix telecast started at 9.05 a.m. Eastern, and the audience peaked at 890,000 viewers at 10.40 a.m. as Valtteri Bottas captured the victory for Mercedes. F1 remains in Austria this weekend for the Formula One Pirelli Styrian Grand Prix, the second race of the championship's modified calendar. The race airs at 9.05 a.m. on ESPN. It's been definitely an interesting return to racing here in the, the world of modern motorsports, and it's kind of weird to see how things have gone. Um, there's always something going on. Uh, the past few weeks, so there have been, well, actually last week, there was notice that three drivers, three professional drivers, have got exposed to COVID-19. Uh, one of them suffering a little bit more. That was Felipe Nasser, the IMSA driver. Uh, he's currently hospitalized for this, uh, his infection. Hopefully he gets better soon. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was also sidelined last week with a COVID-19 infection. Jimmy Johnson has been cleared to race this weekend at uh, in Kansas, so we wish him all the best. And also Bob Tasca of the NHRA was recently diagnosed with COVID-19 as well. Hopefully he's, he's uh, getting well as well as the NHRA returns to action this weekend. Unfortunately, I do not have much information about the return to action from the National Hot Rod Association as a lot of... Uh, of public relations people have disappeared from the world of motorsports as they've disappeared from other other uh, things as well and not getting as much information from tourist people and all that. So, And the uh, I saw that 90% of the people from Felder Entertainment had been let go, and that's really a uh, not a good thing either. Um, but hopefully things get back to normal eventually. Um, it is a rather slow process, and there's a lot of stuff going on. So we'll see how it goes. Again, we wish the best of luck to all, all the people who have been exposed to COVID-19 in the, in the professional ranks as well as everybody else in the world. Um, hopefully there's, there's not any, uh, any more infections out there, although I'm pretty sure there are, then we'll hear from uh, about certain other drivers in the next few weeks. It's just one of those sort of things. So moving on from that, I know there was also some, uh, some raising out in your part of the world last weekend. You attended a, an event in Hermiston. Do you want to tell us a little more about that? Yeah, so we went to Hermiston, and of course we had all of our masks and stuff because we weren't really sure what to expect. They were only letting 250 people in per show, so they ran um, two shows in one night, and all they did was main events. So unfortunately, if you went to the later show, there's a chance that not all the cars would be in it because they got wrecked out in the first show, but I guess that's just a chance you take. We got tickets for the later show because we wanted to see the fireworks, and um, yeah, they weren't. They were, that's my wonderful neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it was <laughs> it was fun. There wasn't a whole lot of cars. Um, the majority of them, like I said, got wrecked out in the first show, and I think there really weren't that like a whole lot of cars because I'm 
sure not everyone quite knew what they might be getting themselves into as far as with the virus and the the just how they were going to go about it. But I was pleased. It was a lot of fun, even with the not being as good as it usually would. Um, it was nice that the stands weren't packed. You had room to get up and go get your hot dog or your Coke or whatever. And it was fun. And the fireworks, oh, my gosh, they did. It was like a 15-long firework show, and the finale was just spectacular. So all around, I'm very pleased with how the weekend went. And I hope more tracks around Washington take note and they start opening back up. Hopefully that thing happens. And, and I know there's a, we mentioned a few different races that are taking place in Florida in the next few weeks. Um, the Sebring race will be taking place, I believe it's next weekend. Um, let's see. It'll be the, the 18th and of July. So that'll be cool to look at that, see how that goes. I was actually considering possibly heading out for that, but I don't know. Um, there's also all the different races that are going to be in Daytona in the next month. I did look into possibly getting credentials for the Daytona road course race held in the middle of next month. So we'll see how that goes. Um, even if I don't get credentials, I might look into tickets for it because it is an interesting thing, and, and we haven't been up in Daytona for a few a few months now. So it'll be something to something to see, something to see how that goes. And the, uh, the road course there is amazing. And it'd be cool to see how the stock cars go around it. I know that there's a, uh, several drivers who have experience on the road course, but none of them have experience in a stock car. So it'd be cool to see how that goes as well. Um, there's not a whole lot of other racing activity going on down here. There isn't really much in the summer anyway. It's way too hot. Uh, it was like 97 degrees today with a heat index well over 100 degrees. So, um, But there, there's always something going on, especially now with the fact that the uh, – other races have been canceled, and Florida has a, a different perspective on the COVID-19, mostly driven by the business interests and a little bit by the governor, who seems to want to keep everything open, which is fine. That's great. That's happy. I'm not complaining about that. I want to be able to go out and, and eat and things that uh, people further south in Miami-Dade County aren't able to do anymore. So we'll see how that goes. But it's uh, it's slowly – there's slowly things reopening. There's slowly things changing. I was able to – Head out to one of my favorite restaurants last night, although the, the experience wasn't as good as I had hoped. And we actually didn't make it into the into the facility because they had a really bad, uh, really long wait, and it just didn't work out. But we'll we'll try that again later. So hopefully things start to get a little bit better. The game get a little bit more back to normal. Although the normal is one of those things you put in huge quotations and and figure out as you go. Um, it's definitely an interesting time. Uh, getting in touch with the people in the public relations side is more difficult. It's more difficult now than ever to get people to respond to me about the uh, chance of being on the program. But I'm working with it, and we're going to try and have a rather interesting group of, of guests in the next month or so. Um, some guys who are really, really uh, marquee guys you'll, you'll recognize the name of, and that will be awesome. Other people who you'll definitely recognize the name of in the future – and that's what the show has been built on since its first episode nearly, well, just more than six years ago today. Uh, we did start just before the 4th of July um, in 2014, if you can believe that. So taking a while to get our the ground, as it were, I think we're doing pretty well. And we always have more in store. There's always a... Uh, 
bigger and better things on the horizon. And hopefully you've stuck with us for this long. You'll stick with us for as long as we're able to stay on the air. Be sure to check out past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder, as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at blogtalkradio.com slash speedwaydigestradio. I did just contact one of the producers of the uh, the pit stop with Tim Despain. Uh, she does not have any insight right now as to when they will return to the air. I am hoping that that is soon, but she doesn't have any insight right now, so if you're wondering when that's going to happen, I really couldn't tell you. Uh, I know that they, they focus primarily on NASCAR, on the Sprint Cup side of things. And although there is a lot of stuff going on in that world, it's a lot more difficult to get as much information as you could in the past from them. So that's kind of what they're at, where they're at right now. But if they, as soon as they decide when they're going to come back on the air, I will share that information on the uh, Facebook page as well as on Twitter. And uh, you can be sure that we'll... We'll be working with them a little bit more in the future. I'll have, try and have Tim Despain on the program at some point in the near future to discuss some of the stuff going on in NASCAR. I know he's probably anxious to get back on the air as well. You can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar or simply by going to facebook.com slash SD Thursday Night Thunder. I also invite you to read all the articles covering all aspects of motorsports at speedwaydigest.com. I have had a little bit more time on my, on my hands lately. Uh, so I've been able to, to update some of the stuff there in their racing news section as well as the Speedway news section and other parts. So be sure to check that out. There's lots of stuff going on, uh, return to racing things and some cancellations as well, as well as some profiles on drivers and things that they're they're doing in the off time. Uh, the people at Lucas Oil have been really good about that, and as well as the people at Jigs. So be sure to check that out. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at Favorplum's Fantastic Finds. It can be found on Facebook, Twitter. At Twitter, you can easily find it at Favorplum's, F-A-V-O-R-P-L-U-M-B-S, or at PB Happening, which is basically the, the thing they took over from. And by heading to HTTP, Favorplum's, FantasticFinds.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next week in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. Have a great night, and thanks again.